It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday, it's live, and I'm back in studio again today. And I am really excited to have two guests, uh, not only that uh, I know personally and uh, really enjoy talking to, but have done work all around the world. So, you know, sometimes the show can be very local and very specific to maybe people that, you know, I might know in my local community. And at times we expand that, right? And we can talk to people uh, who are doing work all around the world and have, you know, can have different perspectives and ideas for us about what talent and culture and leadership looks like uh, and, you know, what we should be thinking about uh, even outside of our own, uh, you know, immediate communities. So, uh, this is really the reason the show exists, right? I, I, I enjoy talking to, to leaders and to people who are out there doing the work and talking to other people who are doing the work and picking their brains about what they're thinking about, um, what's important to them, and what we might learn from them that we can take back in our businesses and help make things better. And there's been so many wonderful stories, so many great examples, and so much inspiration from guests we've had over the last five years that um, I even threw you know, my best ones in a book uh, that now is a bestseller. It's called The Power of Company Culture. Uh, love to have you check it out. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy books uh, you know, around the world. Uh, there's lots of different sites. Amazon is not for everyone. I, found that out in the Netherlands recently that uh, there is no Amazon there. They have something else, I think, called Bowl. So wherever you buy books, you can find us there. Um, but, uh, y- you know, as we as we show up here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, um, we're really happy that so many of you tune in live. Uh, but most of you actually get us on the podcast after the fact. And that's totally cool. We appreciate uh, however you, you digest our content. Um, but if you're doing so, uh, you know, on iTunes, iHeartRadio, make sure you subscribe, make sure you like, make sure you share that with your friends. We have over 10,000 of you a day coming in and listening to an episode, and it's just it's absolutely overwhelming how much uh, support and uh, activity we're seeing there. Uh, and we'd love to, to interact with you, with, with you all a bit more. And so we're definitely encouraging you here uh, while the, the show is going or even after the fact to find us on Twitter. And you can... Um, Go ahead and uh, look up at PeopleG2, or you can use the hashtag Talent Talk. And my producer, Mike, actually listens to the show while we're doing it live, and he kind of punches in the best quotes, kind of the, the best of the best stuff into a live uh, kind of Twitter feed there. And uh, that's a great way to kind of catch up on the show and help us interact. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about my guest today instead of all the, uh, the business here. Uh, my first guest will be David Kirsch. He's a business consultant and trainer with uh, Simplitude. And then another one, which is Extradent, but I don't. I think I'm saying that wrong, but I think he'll help me out in a minute. And then we'll bring in uh, Joyati uh Energy. Uh, she's a consultant for uh, 
Energage, excuse me, and a global project head for gr- uh, great culture to, in- uh, to innovate. So um, she's got some fascinating um, things about what she's doing here in the United States and in India. And we'll bring her in to the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and bring in my friend uh, David Kirsch. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for staying up late and dialing all the way in from Belgium. We appreciate it. Yeah, it is it's a pleasure to, to be with you uh, tonight, uh, Chris. So why don't you give everyone a little bit of uh, understanding about your background, who you are, uh, you know, maybe where you're at, you know, and, and, and kind of uh, what you're doing in your work right now. Yeah, so um, yes, I'm, I'm one of the uh, 78,000 German-speaking Belgians. So Belgium is a very little country, about 11 million um, people, and you have three official languages, and I, I'm, I'm the German-speaking, I'm one of the German-speaking ones. And um, so I'm working as a self-employed trainer and consultant and uh, with Simplitude, so that's uh, the contraction of simplicity and attitude, uh, where I um, support organizations in the implementation of a company culture around continuous improvement. Well, fantastic. I know you and I were able to meet in Amsterdam for the first time around the uh, Positive Change uh, conference, and we certainly got to... uh, to learn more about each other. I think some of the work that you're doing is really, really fascinating. And, uh, you know, and uh, if for anyone that maybe is in, interested in, in, in world geography, sort of the this idea in Belgium, you have this French-speaking part, right? You have your German-speaking part, and is the other part English, or what's the third one? The third one is Dutch speaking. Dutch speaking. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I apologize a little bit for my for my English because it's 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 only my fourth language. So if there are some <laughs> terms that I didn't use very well, so uh, please um, feel free to 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 grab or to 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 dig a little bit if no. if my formulation wasn't very exact. Listen, us stupid Americans only know one language. Are not going to give you any crap for knowing four. Um, <laughs> I promise. Um, and yes. if we're if we're not sure of anything you had to say, I'll certainly help you clarify. So, uh, when did you become interested in this idea of organizational culture? You know, helping companies, you know, having continuously improving culture. When, when did this start for you? Um, for me, it started it started uh, um, about ten years ago uh, when I started to work for a Belgian retailer. So, uh, Colroyd is called called Colroyd, and um, this is the biggest retailer in Belgium. Uh, food, non-food, and they're doing a lot of stuff themselves. And they had uh, already since the the 60s the idea to um, reflect uh, continuously about what can we do easier, what can we do simpler. And that was really um, in their company culture. Now they grew t- they grew very very fast. So uh, begin in the year two in the 2000s, they were about 6,000 uh, or 8,000 people. It's quite a lot for Belgium, but there are now um, um, more than 28,000 people. So there are a lot of people um, moving in, moving out, and coming by. And so they they uh, already recognized in 2005-2006 that the company culture. Um, around continuous improvement and work simplification was a little bit, um, yes, um, dissolving in uh, the whole, um, in a lot of people who are coming in. And so they started a big project about work simplification and coaching work simplification to uh, where they try to reanimate a little bit this culture. Uh, around the non-nonsense, and uh, then I started to work for them as a as a coach 
work simplification. So there was uh, mainly uh, giving training about, okay, what is work simplification and um, facilitating some groups. But I also very fast um, saw, I, I first very fast saw how much um, this um, stuff of continuous improvements done by the people themselves who are doing the work was really empowering. And that uh, people who are who have some some um, space where they can improve their own work and organize themselves uh, gives also a lot of of, of work uh, happiness of uh, of self satisfaction, and that I found really 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 uh, passionating. And where it um, yeah where it. Um, where I met some problems was um, at the moment that, that there was a problem, there was a gap to receive the, the um, to put the competences that we uh, gave to the people during the trainings and uh, by facilitating uh, the work there, wa there was a problem to do the switch really to implement it and to, 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 to become really a culture back Mm -hmm. That was the gap that I that I um, that I viewed at this time. So you had the people who were who were doing the work, who were improving their work, but there was still a coach, an external people needed to stimulate them to do the work. And when you when you when you took out the coach from the from the uh, company from the from from the company background, the yes, the the initiatives of um, of continuous improvement. Um, 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 became less. Yeah. So you know, some of the things that you said are, are really good reminders for us of many of the things that we've talked about on this show. I mean, autonomy, that to do your work, to be able to self-direct, those are all wonderful things that we've talked about. But one of the things you mentioned is sort of a new topic here that we haven't really talked about, and that's work simplification. And I love that, and, I, and I'm wondering why, or if you have some thoughts why are we not talking about that more? Because it feels like work is getting more and more complicated, right? We have more software, we have more rules, we have more processes, we have more client. everything gets more complicated. Um, but it sounds like you are taking a very distinct um, approach to simplify things, to help people, I assume, be uh, more productive, to be to have more time to uh, collaborate and to be innovative. So, uh, what's the importance? Uh, or, or, or maybe, let me let me change that question. Why do you think companies are not spending as much time on simplifying as they should? That's a good question because um, work simplification is a very old concept. So uh, it's, it's quite an American concept that the Colroyds, so the, the earlier generations of the Colroyd family, picked up in the United States um, uh, after the of, after World War II, um, and where um, the industry in America during World War II was um, yes focused on how can we um, let do the work in our uh, industry by the people who 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 stayed in the country so the young um, workers and men's were at the frontier in Europe and uh, so they had to reflect about how can we do the the usual stuff simpler and that was the first question i think that's um, Yes, that's 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 quite an interesting approach uh, today in uh, in a more complex world. 
and uh, to go to the sort of efficiency, but with the with the eyes of what can we do simply or what can we do on a, on an easier way. And uh, for that, you need really also the people, and not only uh, 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 an industrial engineers who will design your process. Right. Right. And uh, and and then uh, the, the the question was really how can I put this into a culture? How can I um, do that the people keeps reflecting about it uh, and, 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 and shows it at, at normal? And there was a moment that I, that I found a book about um, uh, that's called the Toyota Kata from, um, from Mike Rota. I don't know if you had already um, some, some information about this book in the, in the show. Yeah, so you tell us about that. You found this book in 2014, um, and, yes. and yeah, so go, go ahead. So Toyota Kata is a book from Mike Rota, who is a, who is a, a professor, German professor at the at the Michigan University, and he wrote a book about how can how Toyota um, trains people to use patterns and special routines um, that they call kata. I don't know if you have if you did some some uh, uh, Japanese martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, because kata is kata is um, um, a pattern that you use, so you have a, a fixture of um, a virtual fight against three people, and so you have um, all times the same um, pattern and routine of techniques that you that you um, that you use that you use to 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 try to exercise uh, as long as it becomes a real reflex, so that you don't even reflect about it anymore and so with the idea that when you come in the situation uh, where you are under attack you can um, defend you by 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 using these techniques and um, he um, identified four steps that toyota uses to do the, the the continuous improvement and the first step and that was for me really really important and you also wrote it in your book is you need also for continuous improvement and work simplification you need first to give to the people a destination so what's the the extra value that we will give uh, that we will have to our customers what were the things that we uh, found very important to reach and then you can start to understand the actual situation and to um, search some steps to okay to do some PDCA some experience with the, with the daming circle to uh, go f- um, closer to your uh, to your destination I don't know if my 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 proposal is 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 really clear. No, I think so. And and, <laughs> and 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 so, how do we implement this correctly? How do we? How is this something we can use? You know, sort of inside of what we're doing inside of cultures. Um, yeah. First of all, when I accompany these uh, these groups um, or the organizations, I start with training. Uh, training the the four steps of the of the coaching kata. So to say, okay, we have first to find where we have to go to, because if you have no destination, if you have no idea uh, where to focus on, then you are a little bit in the situation where most uh, organizations um, are working with. So you have a sort of postal box for improvement ideas, and then uh, a commission have to decide um, what are the ideas that we will uh, realize or not. And, um, and the question is then, okay, what can we do for an improvement? What can we do to simplify the work? 
and then you have some very very spread ideas uh, but you have no um, yeah you have no reference point if you have a focus a clear focus and a clear destination the questions becomes for the whole uh, staff what we need to do to go uh, closer to our uh, to our destination, and then you can evaluate also the impact of your actions, of your experiences, of your of your um, experiments, and um, and this is what um, uh, what I do with the with the coaching kata. So you have a rule of um, four. Um, questions about the improvement so okay um, what's your destination what will you try what uh, when can we see what's um, the result of your um, of your uh, experience and what would you have to fix afterwards and then so that's really basic but the key is there that there is also a coaching kata so a routine that the the, the managers can 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 have to um to support the people who are doing the work with the PDCA. And there, to have a routine, to have a fixed set of questions helps um, to, to, don't, uh, to, to, um, to keep also all times the fixed pattern, sort of fix the same fixed questions and to repeat and to see, okay, where is evolution or not. And at the other one, to not step too much into a, mentee, uh, a mentor role. So you keep coaching. So there is the, the 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 process himself, who is very important, and you can keep it with the with the with the different questions and 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 um, and patterns that you use in the in the kata. Right, right. So you know, it, it there's a sort of a lot of things here to unpack. You know, yes. lots of, of things that people can look to do, and I you know, sort of take that idea and we, we look also the work simplification idea. Um, and, and, you know, it kind of gets down into this idea that, um, you know, we're kind of looking at how we might want to be leaders in the future, right? And so, what are some of your thoughts about wh- what, what, as leaders, what we should be thinking about or what are some things we should be doing uh, to be better leaders in the future? I think um, that's not new, but I think you have to, to put the people that you lead uh, really, really in the center to give um, um, enough autonomy. And uh, I think what leaders have also to do is to learn to lead from the emerging future. So that's a, a concept that I'm experiencing with, who came from another book of another German professor, in uh, another German teacher uh, in, in the USA at, uh, at, at, at MIT, uh, Otto Schamer. And he wrote a book about, okay, how can we lead from the emerging future? And this means that um, you have all times you need first, sure, to analyze the existing situation and the past. But then there is also a moment where you have to uh, to be courageous and to to see okay what will I do and open um, open open your will to say okay I I won't um, go further on uh, on that what is already existing but I ask the question what I have to create now for the future so to to put the focus on okay what is here uh, what needs to emerge here what uh, what uh, what needs to be to be done 
um, in uh, in place of um, okay, what are we doing and what can what can we do a little bit a little bit more more better and turning uh, turning a bolt in the, in one way and turning a bolt in another way. That's quite important. But sometimes you need really disruption, and I think that we as leaders we need to be courageous to do it, to have the courage to say okay, I let go. A little bit of the uh, of the past to open uh, some opportunities from the future. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's really really important. And I think one of the things that the, all leaders should be doing, but as we continue to look to the future, is, is how can we get better, right? How can we find uh, and stay on top of uh, new bits of information, new technology, new trends, whatever it may be. And uh, you've mentioned one uh, uh, book already uh, with the Toyota Kata, but you know, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? Yeah, so the other book that I, I want really to share is uh, the book of Otto Scharmer, Leading from Theory U, Leading from the Emerging Future, because that speaks a lot about also our um, our um, challenges challenges uh, on, on on society level. So what can we do? Where what can we do to the to the big problems that we that we have to effort economic uh, uh, problems ecological problems and also spiritual problems and um, yeah i find it's a quite interesting book it's in english you'll find it on amazon and then another book that i have to 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 sure to to um, to advise is uh, is your book chris <laughs> I found it very, very inspirating. Yes, and I, uh, and I, I'm, uh, I make, I made a big, big. Um, uh, um, um, uh, I, I ordered a big, um, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of, of your books, and I'm uh, giving them um, as a gift to all the managers and leaders that I, um, that I have the pleasure to, to, um, to, to, to support. Well, I, uh, well, I really about company culture. It's really, really clear, and I, I want really to 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 thank you for this for this book and for this essence that you brought um, that you brought together. Well, yes. I really appreciate it, David. And I I wish we could get it. Hurry up and get it translated into French and German. That might help a little bit, and maybe even Dutch. But uh, I appreciate yes. your uh, support in doing that and and helping me spread the word and. Uh, that really uh, it makes my day. So I, I appreciate ah. you doing that. That's that's fantastic. So you know uh, the important question here is you know how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you and the work that you do? Uh, I, I assume that you you do kind of do work all around Europe uh, specifically, but uh, obviously maybe uh, higher concentration in Belgium. But wherever they may be, if they want to reach out, if they want to find out more about Simplitude, what's the best way for them to do that? Yes, if they speak French. <laughs> <laughs> they can uh, take a look on the website simplitude.be. Otherwise, I'm always interested that they can also uh, they can all times send me an email on david at simplitude.be, and um, I'm all times pleasure to 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 take a coffee uh, somewhere in Europe uh, or even virtually via Skype. And um, yes, and even if there were some uh, proposals from me today that were that that, that weren't clear. Feel free to contact me to um, to to talk about it. I'm really um, passionate about this stuff, and um, and this was pleasure. Well, fantastic! Thank you so much, David, for being a part of the show and sharing us sharing with us all of your uh, bits of wisdom. Hopefully, we can have you come back on the show uh, at some point and uh, uh, you know give us some more of your updates. And I look forward to uh, connecting with you soon. Yes, nice, Chris. Have a nice day. All right, fantastic. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break with my next guest. 
Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, David Kirsch, he's a great one. You can check out his interview along with the one I'm just about to have. Uh, probably next week we'll get it up on iTunes, iHeartRadio, everywhere you download your podcast. You can find it there. Just look for Talent Talks. Uh, subscribe, like, do all your, do all the things that you can to help us there. We really appreciate it. I'm really excited to bring in my next guest, uh, Joyoti uh, Banerjee. Did I do it? Yes. I think, hi. I think I think I was ninety percent. I mean, let's just be real. I was probably not all the way there, but consultant for Energage. I see. I'm. I think I'm just meant. I'm, I'm mouth mouth functional today. So, <laughs> anyways, for the global project and head uh, for great culture to innovative. So, um, we're going to get into all of that with her. Don't forget, you can also send your questions at PeopleG2 on Twitter and use the hashtag Talent Talk. You can also go to TownTalkRadio.com. It's like a million places to find us. Uh, I have no uh, excuses. But, hey, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Hi. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, what your company does. I know you kind of have two things going, but let's, let, let's dive in. Sure, sure. So here's how I would describe myself. Uh, I'm a, I think I'm a business leader, uh, HR entrepreneur and an organization development consultant. Uh, I've played different roles throughout my career. Uh, and currently I, I, I consult with two organizations. Uh, my specialization is in workplace culture, assessment, transformation, change management. That's who I am. Well, that's a lot, <laughs> and you're doing a lot, which I'm really excited to, for us to kind of dig into. Maybe let's talk about designing and implementing a workplace culture, uh, you know, specifically to create uh, the kind of desired business outcome. So what does that look like for you? Great question. Thank you. Uh, so so in, in my career, I've, I've played multiple roles. Uh, one has been playing corporate roles for about 12, 13 years, medium, large-sized corporates, bringing about change, running a business franchise of a research and consulting company called Great Place to Work in the area of workplace culture and now consulting. So I've experienced this from different angles, from inside an organization as well as as a consultant from the outside but working with multiple industries and companies. What I've found is uh, best workplaces are very clear about their strategy, vision, mission, and they make sure that the cultures align with it. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've found is intentionality is key. 
great workplaces don't have default cultures right. that they have purposeful cultures because every company has a culture whether you know it or not <laughs> right but a great companies manage to understand it find it and they drive it to a place they want to be right. and that's usually linked very very sort of sharply to the business outcomes they want mm-hmm. uh, i think that's a, a really a, a big defining factor but of course good intention doesn't make everything happen right uh, and i think the best companies also focus very very hard on the how not just the what which is sure uh, what to do but also how you do it and i think that's where the differentiating of the factors lie right yeah, yeah and, and we, simon senek sort of pushed us to start with why right and that was a kind of a really important uh, book and everything but I, I have seen that it's you know almost equally as important that people or companies spend a lot of time on on the how right i mean cuz how is really kind of how they get it right or they get it wrong, right? And it really gets into what makes them a culture, what makes them a company. It's how are they going to do these? How do they communicate? How do they deal with with adversity? How do they celebrate their people, right? And the how is a really, really big part of that of that culture, right? Oh, absolutely. And there's some wonderful examples out there. Uh, you know, I, I know of, of companies like, for example, Marriott believes in empowerment of the front line. And because of that, the financial freedom, the person at the hotel at the front desk will have mm-hmm. financially as well as, you know, just freedom to sort of do stuff for their guests is amazing. And that's because they believe in empowerment, mm-hmm. right? A company like 3M, you know, innovation is, is at the heart of their business. Mm-hmm. And the kind of seed capital they give for grants that they give to people to come out with ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and even if the idea fails, they're still part of the organization. They don't get to start to, have to look for another job. Right. It's the kind of psychological safety people feel in experimenting. Speaks yeah. to the how and right. linked to business. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that story from 3M. I mean, you know, Post-it notes essentially exist because some Someone made a really bad glue, right? And they put it in a database <laughs> yeah. and one day found this recipe for really bad glue. And it was, you know, yeah, uh, a gazillion yeah. dollar industry now. So for them. But yeah, uh, so many amazing. But, you know, in, a, in another kind of company, that person might have been fired. They would have never kept track of that failure. And no one would have ever capitalized on it later. So... Um, maybe you could share a little bit about your journey into uh, you know that that part of what you talked about with company and organizational training around culture. So, you know, what, what's sort of your been your take? What are you doing in that world of training? Yeah, so I've. Uh you know, played a role in training uh, from, again, multiple perspectives. I've headed corporate learning for a very large financial services company in India. Uh, I've also looked at training from a culture development and transformation perspective, things that need to be done. And I think that what I've seen is... uh, Good companies or great companies, um, firstly, have an architecture. They don't they don't jump into it. They think of what are the three or four or five things I need to do as a framework around training. So, what do I mean by that? Uh, so, wh- one is, uh, am I doing cultural assimilation training? I'm hiring people. I'm doing onboarding. But am I doing something specific to ensure that they assimilate into the culture I want for my organization? Am I doing values training for my leaders? to ensure that they really understand because they, people come with job skills. They come with leadership skills at a senior level. But do they really embody the values that I've got? So that, that's one angle. The second angle is, am I giving career-related uh, training for different levels of organization growth, mm-hmm. from manager to mid-manager, first-time managers? And that's where mistakes happen, right? right. Uh, and this, so, and all of this is apart from job and functional and business training. So, so, so learning when it's holistic, it's not just job, functional, business, but values, culture, culture, linked makes it holistic and much more li- likely to be successful. The other thing I, I really believe in, you know, personally, is that uh, 
companies and, and you know GE taught us this many years ago uh, that managers have teachable points of view uh, you know when when they started the leadership center and Noel Titi was a big big person in leadership mm-hmm. he talked about this and I do believe that the best organizations they hire consultants but they also ensure their leaders and managers stand up and train right and that achieves multiple things right you have to role model those behaviors so so great organizations do that and when uh, when we sort of w- jump into companies and help them transform cultures we look at building culture champions we're not saying that somebody outside is going to come and make the change but right. people inside will do it with some help and support right. and i think that's the key as well yeah i mean it's okay to bring in outside help to be the spark maybe right yeah, but you have to have those leaders doing mm-hmm. that and leaders are, shouldn't just be there to be babysitting or enforcing rules they should be there to be training and leading and, and inspiring and all of those things and that's uh, that's what I've seen and I, lo- I love that you're using that word champions because that's one that I use a lot mm-hmm. you find those people have that energy and that excitement around whatever it is you're doing they yeah. take it so much farther than anybody else could ever do right it's, it's amazing correct and often that's not the formal leaders necessarily yeah. and that's the key right mm-hmm. that are informal leaders or informal enthusiasts uh, so i think discovering that in organization the formal versus the informal culture right. is also so important so i have this a term that i've been talking about recently and that's this idea of a part-time leader and 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 what that is is i've noticed in my organization and a lot of organizations that i've worked with that people are willing to take on a leadership role if they know it's just for a part it's just a part-time thing they're not going to be fast-tracked into management they're not going to be asked to take on five more projects just because they did a good job but we often I, th- I think people are afraid to take on some bit of leadership and responsibility they may be a let's just say a customer service rep right and they're totally happy doing that they just want to do that and it's like well here here's a project and like if I take on this project I do a good job now you want me to be do this thing and do this thing and so this idea you can get so much more out of people if you are willing to set this parameter and say I promise I won't give you nine more projects like this if you don't want them but come and be a big leader come and step up in this little moment do you agree with that or disagree with that I think the answer is depends but I, I think I think you've hit hit the nail on the head it's also about having options mm-hmm. I think it's very op- important to offer options in organizations and what right. o- often organizations don't do is say you know either you become a leader or that's the end of the road for you and then you got to you know move out or, or you know you can be a great technical person but mm-hmm. hey how long can you do that right. and I think so I think best companies create opportunities for example somebody could be excited by a part-time leader concept somebody may just say i want to be a technical expert but mm-hmm. i want to grow still and do a lot right. of other good stuff and somebody wants to be a full-time leader yeah. so i think offering different options different strokes for different folks you know right. it's right. not a one size fit all because what what drives me doesn't drive somebody else so i think offering those options and and working hard to understand what excites people uh, i think that's the key Yeah. Yeah, and I just noticed it, it, there are people who are on a career path, right? There are mm. people that want to be leaders or they want to continue to they want to get from point A to point B. But I just noticed was this entire population of people that were just happy doing what they're doing. And they want to show up, they want to do their job, they want they're happy, they like their company and the culture and all that, but they want their paycheck and they want their it, they're not trying to become a senior leader one day. That's not their path, at least not right now today. And so that was sort of one way we sort of figured out, well, we can get them to do a little bit more by making sure we promise not <laughs> to put them in charge yeah. of everything 2 days later just because they did a little bit of a good job, right? In- yeah, yeah. No, no, I, and I 
understand that. But also, I think the thing is for people to understand that you can't for the rest of your life perhaps do that same job because somebody mm. else at a lower cost, yes. perhaps younger, will come and take that job someday. Or maybe artificial intelligence will. Right. right? right. So the fact that you've got to see your career in a 30-40 year horizon and try and say where can I go next three or five years yeah you know and that's so. a whole other conversation that hopefully uh, you know HR and and your and the direct uh, managers and leaders are having with those people absolutely because mm-hmm. you're right that, that that's the risk they run but uh, for some of them that's what what the kind of where their mindset is well I know you've worked in lots of different industries so I'm sort of curious is it one that you found more challenging than another so I've worked through manufacturing, you know, tele- telecom, telecommunications, financial services. And of course, as a consultant, you interact with hundreds of different organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had I've had the sort of the, you know, the privilege of doing that. Uh, I, I think for me, the adrenaline rush is when there's a high growth, uh, you know, and, I, and I've had the sort of opportunity to do that in two, two places. Mm-hmm. So I've, you know, lived in India for the very high growth years, uh, late 1990s, 2000s. And just to give you a perspective, it's like a 7% kind of, you know, GDP growth rate. And wow. I worked, you know, in telecom in very heady days. And just again, another perspective. Uh, from 2001, there were 5 million subscribers of mobile phone users. And today there's 1.1 billion. Wow. From 2001, 2018, wow. 5 million to 1.1, almost 1.2 billion, which is a 1.3 billion population. That's so crazy. can you imagine that kind of growth? Right? <laughs> At first I thought it was about the infrastructure you would need to handle it. And then I thought about just like the customer service reps you might need to do that and the billing and the software. And like, that's that is just mind-blowing. Yeah, I was obviously a part of, tiny part of it for four right. years in right. with a large organization which later got bought over by Vodafone. So it was mm-hmm. Hutchison Wampoa which got bought over by Vodafone. I was part of the growth journey. So that was exciting because HR systems, processes change every three months. Right. So you you are running to keep, keep sort of keep up with it and so on. It's sort of like the uh, iPhones, f- you know, phenomenon. The moment you bought the phone, it was already out of date, right? And probably the moment <laughs> you guys brought in any sort of change, it was already too late, and we had to do the next thing. So yeah. that's really fascinating. Um, you, you know, and that it, it, you kind of have a really unique perspective then on uh, incredible amounts of growth and change. You know, you've also worked, uh, as you mentioned, in different countries. So have you worked with organizations that were in multiple countries? And what were some of the differences in how they? you know, in different countries kind of approach the, the culture and engagement, right? Was it sort of siloed that, hey, this country kind of does what they do, and this one kind of does what they do? Or was it, yeah. how, how did that kind of work? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and I have. I've done that, you know, with, with Great Place to Work when I, when I worked with them and, you know, handled, handled their business. I do that currently in the company that I work for, Great Culture to Innovate. It's a consortium across multiple countries, Europe, four or five countries in Europe, Middle East, Nigeria, Colombia. So, so I do work with people across cultures. Uh, so this is an interesting thing that I found, that in, in, in really good organizations, uh, the company culture overrides the country culture. Mm, okay. Yeah. So so let's say a, a 3M were to work globally, or a Google, I mean, much talked about, I know, right, but right. Yeah. So, so typically, the differences are very few across geographies for a Google or a 3M or a, or a, com- or a Marriott, maybe a company like that. Right. So, so they manage to build cultures which override and overshadow country differences. So you find much more in common with a Google employee from one country to another, regardless of their geographical, cultural language mm. differences. And I think that that's, that's really been interesting for me. Having said that, you know, the, the hows are again different, correct? And I can give you some fun examples if you like. Oh, so, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... 
So one is, you know, for example, salary fairness, right? Everybody thinks, oh, I need to get a fair salary. But, you know, for many of the countries in Asia, there's nothing like private salary conversation. You can say, hey, keep it private. In like 20 minutes, you know, five of their peers in the company will know their salary, their bonus when they walk out of the room. <laughs> because because that's, that's how it is, right. right? So the way you would try to handle privacy confidential, and therefore the challenge of fairness, that person come into your room and say, hey, this guy got more than me by 20%. Can you tell me why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to answer answer that right? right you can't say you know at that point hey this is the rule book and <laughs> you know so this is an example of how it can play out and think of family connect you know i think it's another interesting thing everybody thinks it's important um again uh, you know i think in europe it's different in, in asia it's different in, mm-hmm. in, in, in india for example it's not unusual to have a parent being invited for a new graduate's first day at work Hmm. just to in- involve the parent right. or the insurance policy to have a parents in law scheme hmm. yeah just because that's important right uh, in, in, in the nordic language i don't know if you know this is a word called hug which is h y g g e which hmm. you know which which actually means i can't translate it it just means being very comfortable in how you are in the way you are it's like cozy comfortableness mm-hmm. which means they like a lot of personal time uh-huh. and personal well-being so right. time on weekends you know holidays when they need to be summer holidays are all very important and therefore you know so just saying that it depends where you are in the world so the way you'd handle it as a manager would be quite different yeah but ultimately if you're still as to your point if the overall col- company culture is strong enough it can kind of overshadow yeah, it right yeah, so you're yeah. still getting those things done you're still the how you do things are still coming through, even yeah. if there are cultural differences on how you handle something, mm-hmm. or, or, or like you said, you know, does everyone know what you everyone's getting paid or whatever, <laughs> which, which yeah. I find fascinating. Okay. So, yeah, but you know, and I think the struggle for the average company is is how do we get to how do we do that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Google and 3M and those in GM or whoever, yeah. they certainly have Marriott. They have figured it out. At that really huge epic level, right? And they're mm-hmm. they're hiring the best of the best. They're mm-hmm. hiring, you know, people who who they can say this is exactly the person we want, and we can make sure we only hire them so that fits our culture. Yeah. Then there's the rest of us, right? Yeah. So, do you yeah. have any suggestions there on how how do people who who aren't a plus 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 aren't at the very very top? Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the things they should be looking at if they're trying to make sure their cultures can can span the globe, right? That they can have those kinds of people. Yeah. And- it, it, probably things are not too different except that uh, the resources are less mm-hmm. so some of it can be seem a little more d- uh, difficult to do but but I think the principles remain the same even the smaller companies need vision values right. they need to have ensure people are you know uh, connected to those a, a, in the organization but the way they will do it need not be as large or as huge or as cost heavy mm-hmm. uh, they would use technology they would use other ways to make it less costly but I think the principles remain the same. For example, spending time with a new hire for cultural orientation right. is as important, but sometimes difficult for smaller organizations who get caught in activity traps, right? Yeah. So you're yeah. like, you're chopping wood rather than sharpening the saw sometimes, just because it's small, everybody's doing a lot of things. But so I think finding time, uh, you know, to, for the let's say the important and not the urgent becomes tougher for a smaller company. Yeah. Uh, but there are many great examples too, uh, you know, uh, where they do doing much of this all of these things as well uh, but but it is tough but i must recognize that you know? yeah and i think maybe they seem to spend 
they have to spend a little bit more time than maybe other other companies would at that at a different level, right? On is it the right person? On that training? On that alignment? On you know how we do things? Um, you know we have to kind of make sure all of those different things are uh, really set up in a, in the right way, right? And but you know if they can spend that time, often they can have huge results. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think a lot of it, therefore, is about mindset. So mm-hmm. you do have large companies also not doing this. You, you yeah. do have, I mean, that's the other, <laughs> other thing to point out. Yeah. You do have, I mean, without naming names, right? You have companies who don't have, have toxic cultures and they're very large. They're large brands. So I think that you have both types of companies in large and small. A lot of it is about mindset. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think it's about is also being patient about long-term play. And I think in the short term financial horizon that we all seek, we want to have quarterly results and we need you know, quick profitability. The investors don't want to wait if, if you're private equity funded or not. Right. right? You don't want to wait, wait it out. Yeah. You want results immediately and quick. And culture is not a short term play. So it does yeah. require mindset and, an, and a patience, right? To see, I'm going to sit it through. Yeah, and a little discipline, which I think oh, yeah. sometimes is dif- difficult for people. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, to that point, you mean you brought up some toxic cultures. Are there some things that you're seeing out there that maybe those traditionally bad cultures are doing wrong? Are the thing, you know, kind of the warning signs or the, the common, you know, traps that maybe we could, we, we could look at? Yeah. You know, uh, I think the 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 biggest one is is dysfunctional personalities often right at the top right and and that's where it starts and it ends sometimes uh, and uh, often when leaders are unable to are really really sort of CEOs or executive teams or boards are unable to take feedback and be open to change or unable to listen to their peers or employees i think that's where i find you know culture start crumbling yeah um, it, it may take a while to to sort of just you know, see that but that's i think the the, the most common reason I've seen for it to fail. Yeah, and, yeah. and certainly there are some resources out there. I mean, especially in the States. I mean, go to Glassdoor and you can look at what people are for saying it, about sure. those executives. Um, and then obviously they need to really spend some time making sure that the person they're going to be directly working for mm-hmm. has a good reputation and can be that kind of person they need. Because obviously the pe- people at the top have impact on your life, but that person you're working for has a lot, kind of more of that short-term impact on what's happening. And you're, you could have a crazy CEO you could have the best manager and probably be, might be okay as long as they stay in business. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and that's a great point, right? Uh, uh, people have talked about it saying, you know, you join companies and you leave cult- uh, managers. Nowadays, they say you leave cultures. So, right. you know, so uh, but I do agree the manager can play a role. Uh, but often even a good manager can find it tough if the mm-hmm. system doesn't really oh, support sure. him or her. Sure. So it's, it's sort of a, it, it works for a while. But in the longer term, probably uh, pretty tough, yeah, unless you have people who are supporting you right, right, you know, down the line. Right. Yeah, yeah. So in general, I mean, are there? Do you think that there's some cultures out there that are just hopeless, or, or is it possible that you know there are different types of cultures and different people aligned to those cultures? Because there are some cutthroat cultures. Mm-hmm. There are some very warm and fuzzies. Mm-hmm. There's some high communicate. I mean, there's different types, right? Mm-hmm. So. In general, is it about alignment or is there is it kind of a good and bad situation? Hmm. You know, I don't think to, I don't tend to think that uh, any culture is hopeless. Uh, perhaps I'm an optimist <laughs> or it's my job to help people improve. Right, right. Uh, so uh, but, but I don't I think cultures can change. And that's, you know, history has shown us that companies mm-hmm. have changed. So I don't think that there's anything which is just hopeless. Uh, I do think that there's a big difference between happiness and a good culture. Uh, and where I, you know, the, the thinking that I come from is that 
you can be happy or not. For example, in a in a great culture, you could be unhappy sometimes. It doesn't matter, right. and you could be happy, and the company may not have a great culture. Uh, you could be happy not doing much and in you know going home with a paycheck. That's yeah. not maybe a great culture for the organization. And you could have stress at times, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. And that stress is because you want to do more, you're not achieving enough, and you you know want to become bigger, better, etc. So so I do think there's a difference between happiness and a, and a good culture. And I think a good culture uh, it really is where. the business and the culture is very aligned and companies want or individuals want to give their best every day i mean i think of it as as three things like i think there's something called commitment which is do i want to work here for a long time right i think there's advocacy which is do i refer my company to a friend do i feel happy doing that mm-hmm. and then there's motivation do i want to give off my best you know every monday morning when i wake up yeah. so somehow i can keep track of these three that's commitment advocacy and and motivation and i know that and keep a sort of a, a tab on it I'm doing well. Yeah, I have a new acronym, CAM. So yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, uh, you, you kind of mentioned so many great things here today. I'm sure, uh, given your your uh, your background and everything you're doing, that you probably like to read a book now and now and again. So, is there one that you're reading right now, or one that you typically suggest that people should check out? I, I'm going to talk about one that I, I've liked and another, a different one as well. Uh, so, so one that I've read recently is by a person called Yuval Harari. It's uh, he's a his, Israeli historian who's actually a great thinker of our times. He's written something called Twenty One Lessons in the Twenty First Century. Uh, it talks about a lot of lot of world issues, uh, from immigration to artificial intelligence and and mm-hmm. ways to think about it. I think as we get into a complex kind of global um, sort of stage. it's it's been enlightening for me to understand how he thinks about it the pluses and minuses how there's so much gray in the middle right uh, and how you know all these issues that's that's one really interesting book i i love reading fiction too so yeah. <laughs> have, i'm part of actually an amazing book club as well so i i get forced to read a couple of good books for good, sure good. every couple of months that's, and that's the only way i read my books i'm in my book club and i got to get it done so yeah <laughs> yeah i've read an interesting one by a korean author called pachinko about mm-hmm. uh, how the, the when the koreans were colonized by the Japanese before the Second World War and of a, a few generations of a family. So uh, it's a book called Pachinko. It's very interesting. Mm. Mm, fascinating. Well, mm. I'm sure our, get, our uh, mm. listeners would love to check it out. We get so many great uh, suggestions from our mm. guests. So uh, it's kind of kind of keeps my book list uh, nice and full. But uh, so you've mentioned uh, you know a lot of great things here today. Uh, the f- one most important thing we have not heard that we need to know is how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in working with you or working with your companies? Uh, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm I'm on LinkedIn uh, available uh, my email ID uh, can be shared there's jb@joyatibanerjee.com uh, some available on both and happy to connect with whomsoever should reach out Yeah and if you want to find her on LinkedIn it's j o y o t i and last name is b a n e r j i and uh, I'm sure people can uh, reach out and catch you but thank you so much for being on the show today and providing us with such insights on your work and culture and things that are happening all around the world Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Chris. All right. Uh, well, next week I'll be joined by uh, Tim Bronson, uh, owner of Coach the Life Coach, and uh, Carolyn uh, Perrier, uh, founder and CEO of Snowfox. So, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.